0: Sort of a
1: hodgepodge. Do you, does your voice in your mind is, sound way different? Like it, what you hear versus what you hear on camera?
0: Yes. Yeah, definitely. I think
1: that's across the board that that happens. I, I would agree. You're just sort of like, uh,
0: this is, uh, wait, that's my voice? Okay.
1: I think so, I sound I, totally different. I, I would
0: agree. It's what you think you sound like. Yes.
1: Like when you're just talking like this, you're like, okay, yeah. And then you like
0: put them on and you're like, that's that's what I sound like? Yeah.
1: I feel I feel like I sound like an idiot. I just I feel like I, I sound do, dumb. I do too. Not not necessarily the things I say. I do say things that are definitely dumb, but like just how I sound yeah. in general, I feel like I sound stupid. <laughs> but maybe that's just I've me. always felt that way.
0: Just about you.
1: All right. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, man. So um before we get into anything, I have a question for you. It's going to basically tell me everything I need to know about you. Okay. Oh okay. Say the word silk. Three times fast. Silk, 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 so silk silk silk, 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 silk. Spell silk three times.
0: S i l k s l i s l i l k s i l k.
1: Say it three more times. Silk, so silk, silk. What do cows drink? Milk.
0: <laughs> Dang you sucker! <laughs> Dang. <laughs> they drink water. So <laughs> <I said> dumb. Duh. <laughs> I'm like trying to. <laughs>
1: oh man i'll tell you that <laughs> nine out of ten people fall for that <laughs> you're a freaking <laughs> <how> <laughs> I, I, I know everything i need to know now we're there good. we go we can wrap this podcast up it's that's over. all i needed to come here and ask Three. you we're good okay <laughs> <laughs> walk it out um for real though well first off congratulations on your recent victory i didn't even tell you that on the phone because i wanted you. to time out you have it here Oh, bad, no, you're good. We'll blur it out on the thing. Okay. Yeah, just move. I just, I just it. Yeah, you're good. There's a little... Just shift one of the other gigantic champion trophies over here. <laughs> we'll blur that out. Yeah, we'll blur that out. Um. So, yeah, congrats on your... Recent win. I didn't even tell you that on the phone the other day because how I like to try to do podcasts is I try to like to keep everything fresh. Yeah. So like I don't even want to talk to the, about nothing before going into one because I, I just like I hate to have a good conversation. Yeah. And then like have it again. So I didn't even tell you that other down there, but congrats on your recent. I, I really victory appreciate Gunnersville. That was it, was
0: it. was fun. It was a fun. It was a fun tournament. Obviously, uh,
1: Gunnersville is a great fishery, yeah.
0: and uh, you know, obviously, winning is. It's crazy to think in the bass fishing world, <clears throat> the winningest tournament angler of all time is Kevin Van Dam. He's won twenty five tournaments. But like twenty five tournaments in the Grand Scheme, it's like okay, that's not that many. It's like a, but it's like a tournament. So if you win a tournament less than a tournament a year in your lifetime of career, you could you could potentially beat his record. Like that's like, good, but that's the thing. It's like the goal every year is to try to win a single tournament. What number are you at? Um, I think I am at ten. I think I'm at ten right now.
1: That that's so crazy. Like it's just Gunnersville's like. I mean, it's the most competitive lake in the world. Is that a fair statement? It's it's very pressured. It is. Yeah,
0: it's it's competitive for sure. Yeah, it it is one of them.
1: But to go out and win with you know the best anglers in the world. I mean, that's that's a huge deal. It it really, yeah. I
0: mean, for me, I don't take that lightly, of course, because you. There's a lot that goes into that you know and in just like the mindset you know there's a strategy of holding things close to yourself as far as an angler um and having some things in the back pocket there's there's so many there's so many different dynamics that that happen in terms of bass fishing, yeah, you know obviously live now we have live coverage of what's going on every single day throughout the events so, so everybody can see exactly what's transpiring, so all of those things you know it's it's definitely. It's definitely changed how you know, how you play the game.
1: Yeah, you gotta adapt. I mean, similar to, to our world on the hunting side, there's a lot of adapting that's happened for us too. And you know, there's there's a lot of crossovers with, with what we do mm-hmm. with the hunting and fishing side. I think a lot of people out there that hunt also fish and I think a lot of people that fish also hunt. Like I, I would think agree. that's you know, pretty unanimous, but um it's just uh from my perspective like I have my first love in the outdoors was fishing. And I mean, that was like, you know, I, I grew up in Atlanta. It's like not a place conducive to hunting. Gen- generally <laughs> yeah. speaking,
0: typically speaking, you're not probably going to go. Right. It's not and, Iowa <laughs> until we, no, it's not
1: until we kind of figured some secrets out. Yeah, But you know, my grandfather fished and I think I was, you know, as far as I can remember, like, you know, eight years old or whatever, he was taking me fishing and his, they they're, my dad's side of the family was from a super small town in South Carolina. So it was like when we'd go visit them it's when I'd go. And then when I kind of got old enough back home, we had a pond in our neighborhood and I would just like walk, is I don't know, half a mile to the pond. I just kind of walked down there. there like 12 does that every chance I could get. I was down there. And Dang. I mean, I remember that, um, like I didn't even know what setting the hook meant. <laughs> Dude, I'm serious. Like for, the, like for the first several months of my bass fishing, like I was brim fishing and, and catching stuff and yeah. like, they kind of set the hook themselves. Yeah, you have like an
0: exposed hook, yeah. and then like to pull the bobber down or whatever. But you know? dude, I,
1: I'm I'm serious. Like, I went down to this pond and I bought my first spinning rod, and I had like a a tiny little uh, super light lead weight bullet weight, and I was fishing a five inch zoom red shad worm. I mean, I remember it's like the only thing I fished back in the days. Like but
0: you loved it, but I think but,
1: the, but I the red shad. I remember that. For the first two months, three months of me fishing, like, I'd get a bite, and I'd just start reeling in. And I kept losing fish after fish, and I just didn't know until... You're like, why? I ran into some other kid in the pond one day, and he's like, do you not set the hook? And I was like, what is it? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> so he told, like, just, dude, just yank on the rod. And I was like, wow. Hey, hey that's... I, I, I know.
0: Trust me. I, I was that way, too, early on.
1: Yeah. I had some exposed hooks, though, on my on my worms. So how did you get into to fishing like um, way 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 back when i mean where did it all kind of start for you so for me it started like way back when i was um
0: like it like mm, probably started fishing when i was like three or four my dad yeah really young and so my uncle he tournament fished and uh, not like not like competitively really just like club level stuff you know which clubs were a big deal all over like in you know, indiana and that was sort of like the big thing you know you fished in a club and then you know, you could go to the top eight, and then you could go to, like, you know, sort of like a state tournament. So, like, that's sort of where I got – it was a combination of my dad and my uncle where I got the passion for it. And so, you kind of
1: grew up on the tournament side or the competitive side. A, little, a bit. little
0: bit. My dad didn't really compete that much. My uncle was – I would say this. Out of, out of like – my uncle was not a competitive tournament angler. He's made the state team stuff like that, but, like, he was not, like, a – he was not fishing – like BFLs and stuff like that. He was just a club angler. So, like, I would say very entry-level competitive angler. Not, yeah. not you know, so it, I grew up around a little bit of it just to intrigue me enough. But it wasn't like I knew, you know, I, I didn't know the whole thing. Like, I didn't understand everything about it. But that sort of was, like, the start of it all. Mm-hmm.
1: So then, so you, you, where would you grow up?
0: So I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana. Okay. So, I, so, yeah, I remember that. So like Indianapolis obviously is not well known for tournament bass fishing in general. I mean, at least professional bass anglers. You don't think of like, I grew up in on 52nd, 51st Street actually. Yeah. 5140 Broadway Street is where I grew up first. And then um, we moved. And But yes, yeah, so like literally five miles from
1: the circle of downtown Indianapolis. There's a big deer around Indianapolis. There, I,
0: I I figured that out later on in my life.
1: I remember we drove up there for uh, I guess it was uh, some expo or something, and uh, driving around looking at just you know spots, but like oh the spot dropping pins and stuff, and uh, just pictures. Being a day and age of social media, like pictures get sent around and stuff. And, like, oh yeah, there's some real big deer. There's
0: some 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 big old big heads out yeah. there. I, you know what's crazy to me, like in the hunting hunting aspect, is like. How many hunters a year do you feel like getting a car accident looking at a field, <laughs> I, I want to know the statistic because it's like I am like intermediate like hunter. Like I love it. I enjoy it. But dude, every I can't help whether it's a turkey, whether it's a deer, like it, it you just look out there and you're just like, oh, oh, there's something. That, oh, what's there? You know, I, yeah. I, I mean, how many? Do- I know I've almost done it a couple times. I uh, know I'm,
1: I'm, I'm guilty of that for sure. I, I just am thinking, I'm like, it's got to be a lot. <laughs> it's got to be. Man. I <laughs> mean, you're on a, year, uh, a yearly basis. Yeah, I bet you. It's. I bet you it's a lot. Some dudes looking in a field, car in front of him stops. Boom, dude!
0: One hundred percent, one hundred percent. I listen. I got to tell you this story. So last year, at Cayuga, in New York, we're uh, driving along, and. And while I was driving in to to the tournament, I look over in this field and there's a 150 and a 180. A 180 in this field. Like I'm talking, I mean, listen, it's at least 170 inch deer. And (laughs) it's at least (laughs) bare bones. So I'm like, holy. I mean, obviously, the the 150 (laughs) automatically, I'm like, what the heck's up? So. I told it, D.C. and the guys, I said, look, dude, there's a giant, like, D.C.'s like, what? You saw one? I'm like, dude, I swear, giant deer. So, my wife comes up, we're driving back down through there, and I've been driving down that, that road every day, just sort of like, when I'm around, I'm like, I want to see, so he was back out there. I'm like, dude, he's back out there in the field. And so, my wife's behind me, and I go and make a U-turn with my boat on this, like, two-lane highway, and there's an semi-truck behind her. And it's like, like, I almost, she ends up being okay. But like the dang, I mean, someone had to just slam on his brakes. Over that deer. And he's honking. <laughs> and I turn around. And, and then, and then so she's like, what the heck are you doing? Like, I'm on the phone with her. I'm like, there's this giant deer. She ended up being okay. You know, I was all good. But I, um, anyways, semi-truck scared the deer away. How many years ago was that? It was last year. <laughs> this is like You season. got a pin on that? I'm, I'm I do. So serious. Is, I one hundred percent. On? I do. Yes. Yeah, one hundred. It's, it's a. It was a. It's a hundred and seventy plus hundred eighty inch deer. One hundred percent. It is. When it, we stop rolling, I'm gonna. I'm. I got. <laughs> if this you're not gonna started, go hunting, oh, a giant one, giant one. I've never. I. i The biggest deer I've seen driving around, and I would have never guessed. Golly. Anyway.
1: See, see that kind of like brings up a question that I get a lot is. uh how do you how like how are y'all always finding these deer? And it's conversations like this. Yeah. Like our our network has just grown mm-hmm. that like and people love to talk about deer sightings. Dude. The biggest advantage we have is obviously like we have feelers kind of out everywhere, mm-hmm. but you know, what good is that if you don't have the time to go do it? And 100%. like we are so blessed that we get to do this for a living, like literally every single day. And so I can go pursue leads like that just Day in and day out until you go and bing, you land on one. And so like the that's one of the biggest advantages we have with what we do is personally is that like the time to just go do it and just go, you know, pursue al- those leads. Yeah, it's
0: almost like a big foot siding, a big deer siding. Like, yeah. You're just like, yeah. dude, I saw this
1: giant deer. It's a day two hundred inch or you're like, wait, what? I'll tell you though, the worst part is People will get really excited, and I'm guilty of it too, a hundred oh, percent. But people will be like, "Hey, I saw a giant deer. Yep. He ran across this road, and like, dude, I've spent weeks, months pursuing, like, looking for, you know, the sighting of this giant deer, just to like learn that it was like
0: 125. Not deer. a yeah, not a 120 <laughs> deer.
1: Yeah, you're like, oh gosh, which 120 deer is. A, is a nice deer, but
0: well, yeah. But like, if you're like, it's a 200 inch deer or something like that. In a scenario you're when it's like,
1: described as like a 200, you're deer. like,
0: oh my gosh, what? And then you're like, wait, it had to be no.
1: So the amount of wasted time that I've spent on that <laughs> alone, it did, You it
0: Better would, trust the individual that tells you and gives you the lead.
1: So we always try to like have some sort of like legitimate. Cause you you do only have so much time in the day and I have literally spent, wasted so much time pursuing deer that didn't even exist. Gosh. And so like, that's, that's I always try to like, like you total trusted source and I would literally drive to New York tomorrow to go door knock up there.
0: I mean, it would, it would be hard for me. Yeah. Trust me. That would be one. Yeah.
1: Remind me before we end up here to show you the deer I'm currently pursuing. Okay. I won't say what state, Yeah, but, uh, Uh, I'll, I'll show it I I want to
0: see because it's crazy like that that the deer hunting aspect of like like it's one deer it's like if I said like oh I know where this 12 pounder is on the bed and I don't know if I can get you know get it done but like there's a 12 pounder or there's a 12 pounder in this creek or a, a state record bass in this creek on Chickamauga, and I'm like okay. That would – it's basically the same thing. It's like, you know, like uh, then somebody's trying to get to the neighboring property and they're trying to – it's well, it's kind of like the Dottie thing. The Dottie story yes. with that bass. It's, Absolutely. It's kind
1: of like that. Like the pursuit of that one fish yeah. for all those years. And I know that it got like crazy competitive uh. with people going after that fish. Yeah, especially as small a lake as it was. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's just – it's nuts. There's a lot that goes into it.
1: So sitting in this room and this is – kind of what I told you earlier, I was like, I, I got to bite my tongue because I want to like bring this up is dude, this is insane. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's it's like, you know, kind of like you said, like, oh yeah, I've got 10 or 11. What was it? 10 wins. I
0: think, yeah, I think 10 mate, 10 national wins.
1: which when you say that like, oh 10, that's a lot. But like when you visually see it in yeah. in, in, in the form of these like cups and trophies, like dude, it's, it's crazy to like just kind of absorb that in and like kind of realize and, and, and I compare it to like my office at home, like I've got a bunch of mounts in there. Mm-hmm. every single mount has a story, mm-hmm. and I can think of the pursuit of that particular deer and how much time and effort went into it, and it's way less about like actually having a mount and yeah, it's, and it's more like just the the meaning. And so like when I sit in my room at home and I'm like surrounded by those mounts, I feel like this overwhelming sense of like peace and calmness. It's kind of weird because it's like I know how much went into this and I'm kind of like just absorbing it in a way. And I was kind of curious to see like it has to be the same way when you walk into this room to kind of like take a step back and visually look at all of it. And like each trophy's got this whole set of circumstances that like came into place for you, and like all the time and effort and energy that went into like each trophy.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of that. There's each each one like you like you said it the best. Like, look, each of these trophies has the stories attached to it, and all the effort and time that went into getting to that point in your career. You know, and and sometimes like that's I remember so the Forcewood Cup trophy I was. Uh, I was
1: 21 when I won the Fortune You were 21 Cup. when you won this
0: one? When I won that tournament. Really? I was 21. So I, uh, is,
1: is that the first like, big, big, so, big tournament so, you yeah. won?
0: Yeah. So I won when I was 20. I won the All-American. Okay. And I won $100,000. At won
1: 20 the, years at old? At 20
0: years old, I won the All-American. I won $100,000. And I'm like, holy smokes. Like, <laughs> went from $200 in my bank account to $100,000 in my bank account. And so that catapulted my career. So so for those of you who don't know what the All American is, it's the BF All American's basically the amateur championship. Yeah. So that sort of catapulted my career at twenty. The next year I fished the FLW tour and the title and the championship there was the Forcewood Cup. And so that happened right after like I like I missed winning rookie of the year by just a few points. I messed up, basically long story. I I came in late. To a tournament. And so I was all bummed out. And the next tournament was a Forcewood Cup and I went on to win the tournament. So crazy, so awesome. half a million dollars. So 100,000. This
1: was half, 500? 500,000. You won $500,000 yeah. bass fishing at 21 years old. Yeah, half a million dollars. Dude, that is insane. It was It was crazy. That was going to be one of my questions to you was like, well, I had two questions. One was going to be like, what's the most you've ever won in a tournament? Yeah, Clearly. That, one, that one, yeah. And my my question that was going to... Basically, come from your most recent win at Gunnersville, which now looks like nothing compared to what that payout <laughs> was was I was going to ask you what is it like to win a hundred thousand dollars fishing but let me rephrase that question <laughs> and say, what is it like to win a half a million dollars fishing so in that state so so
0: you got it like in context of like going from so to give you like a backstory on this i um I grew up where we didn't have a whole lot, and I had some people that really believed in me and wanted to see me go further, and so I borrowed a boat and a truck, qualified to fish the BFLs. I won the first BFL. I fished actually tied with a good friend of mine now, Sean Weta. So so how
1: how old are you when you fished your
0: first BFL? I was 19. Okay. This all happened like- Pretty quick. Like crazy quick. Yeah. So I, I win this BFL and so like you go from like not winning $3,000 in my first BFL or 4000 or whatever it was and um, I mean I thought that was like insane. Then I go on to an All-American $100,000 still living in my parents' house. Um, now, I'm a professional bass angler, sponsorships and partnerships, and just trying to learn that whole game at 20 years old. And now, 21 when I'm fishing for the tournament next year, and then I'm winning half a million dollars. So, so I went from like it's a it's a rags to riches in some aspect, but it's like so it's it just impa- it's so impactful and it's so hard to fathom half a million dollars when you're 21 years old too. But I just didn't know any different. I just, didn't, you know, just, I just looked, okay, that's great. You know, keep moving. Like, and so I had some really good people on my corner to help me sort of like, but yeah, I mean, that was, that was the most money I'd won, but it was just like, you, it was so hard to fathom that. Like I had it in my bank account, I looked down, like, yeah, I got some money, but like, didn't, I didn't, didn't really seem real. I didn't buy anything. I, didn't, I still was in my mom and dad's house when I, after I won, like right after I won the fourth cup, I, I'm like, I, I didn't do any, I didn't buy anything crazy. Like I oh, so I'll give you for instance. So I went on the local news station News 8 and um, they asked me in the interview, like, what'd you buy? Like you're twenty one, you want half million dollars, and I said I bought four pairs of Nikes. <laughs> That's what I bought. <laughs> I did it to me in that cause that was like, uh, like all right, well I, I asked blurs. I went you know, I wasn't thinking I'm gonna buy a Corvette or I'm gonna buy this or that. It wasn't my mindset. It was just like that was just where that was a lot of money. To buy that four pairs of sh- brand new shoes, so I like to me that was yeah. unique, you know.
1: Yeah, I uh, I, I, think we might be similar in that way, where like I, I don't really spend money. Yeah, like I, sp-
0: I, it, it, I spend money now. Yeah, I mean life changes, but <laughs> yeah. but
1: like you know, I just uh, I don't know, like I don't really. Uh, I don't really spend that, like, even to this day, like, I really don't spend that much money. Like, I don't care to have, like, a, you know, Lamborghini or a Ferrari, couldn't afford one, even even if I wanted one. But, uh, and this is is actually kind of launching me into my next subject, which we can, we'll back up, and I want to hear more about your story. But uh, my point in saying this is, like, I'm pretty frugal, Mm -hmm. except for fishing. <laughs> I have a problem.
0: I do. I do too. I trust have a problem.
1: Me. Bad. Bad. No bad. Yeah. I, it's just like, like, I, I. I seriously like. I don't. I'm extremely frugal. <laughs> but it, when it, when it comes to bass fishing, like I get so. It was my first passion, dude. It's like seriously my first like actual passion. Like I played baseball and stuff when I was younger and, and golf and whatnot. But like I liked doing those things. But like I loved fishing.
0: Like it was everything you wanted to everything do it was
1: the first thing that i had like my genuine just like deep passion about and so it's that has always stuck with me and it's like you know new lure gotta have it gotta have it gotta have it <laughs> I, I have a, a, a problem it's it's
0: it, i could see that like trust me fishing is is tough because there's always a new mouse trap. That comes out every single year, every, you know, every month, there's a new color that could maybe impact it. I mean, in, in jumping back to the Gunnersville tournament, it was like, you know, I caught him on a new lure, you know, the freeloader that I coming out with in
1: in July. So So you're not gonna be able to buy those things (laughs) for years. They're just going to be swarmed (laughs) off the shelf. Yeah.
0: So it's, it's like in that scenario, it, it does positively, when you find something that works better and it's a better mousetrap than the one before it, or it does something a little bit different. It has a, like think about the Alabama rig, think about a a chatterbait when it first came out, think about a buzzbait and going into a plopper and those things. Like it does positively in fact, in fact your catch, your catches like you, you can generate more bites on the same exact spots you've been fishing every day. So like, that's where like in fishing it directly affects your results. You know, it's yeah. like, it's like, it's, it's a, and, it, and it's such like a, like it's either going to work for you in your scenario on your body of water, or maybe it's not, or you have to figure it out, but it's, it's, it's it's, it's, so it's addicting.
1: Tell me if this is an accurate statement that so to, to separate the, the good bass fishermen from the greats is adapt adaptation, a huge, huge reason for what separates someone from being like a a good fisherman to being like a great fisherman.
0: Yeah. I, I think like a, there there's,
1: the and, and and let me, let me kind of preface that. So to the reason I say that is kind of what you're saying with lures, how it's like buzz bait to whopper plopper. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, fish. And we talked about this earlier with like the seven inch bass tricks on Gunnersville, yep. how that was the deal. And then like that, like saw that, that bait for, you know, months and yep. then it was like they won't touch it now. Yep. You figured out a different deal for Gunnersville specifically and it won you that tournament. So that's kind of what I was asking is like finding kind of that next thing that's different that gets more bites or like tricks the fish. I mean is is that kind of like a huge part of
0: It's not as big typically.
1: Okay. Typically it's not. So yeah. what would you say is is like the biggest what makes you like what turns you from like a good to a great in the bass fishing world
0: uh, I'm going to say it's, it's tough because it's like I would say the number one thing is confidence in everything that you're doing That's that's the number one thing and you can't teach that mm-hmm. You actually have to it, it's a, it's a confidence of what you know it's a confidence of the knowledge you're it's a confidence of what the adjustments you're making on the water it's a confidence of your equipment and how you're doing things and your process of elimination process of elimination it's like it's a whole system, and I think the greats in tournament bass fishing all have this confidence that it just they just know they are doing the right thing or they're making the right adjustments or they're do they just they just know they're going to catch them. It's yeah. not oh man I'm gonna have a good day on the water. They know it, and if they don't catch them they're they're going right back after them and trying to figure out what they're not afraid to change i see so many anglers and, and i was guilty of this myself that would go back to the exact same thing the exact same lure my favorite lure and it wouldn't work and i wouldn't adjust and now it's like you have to make those they make adjustments quicker than anyone else and 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 most of them are right, and that's what's hard to teach. It's like watch teaching somebody fundamental basketball and then putting them in the game, and then you have to adapt to your defense and what's transpiring in the game, and there's some people that can do that and some people can't.
1: Yeah. I've uh, definitely been that guy who is aimlessly making casts on the lake with – zero confidence.
0: <laughs> red Shad Worm. Yeah, just red red Shad, baby. baby.
1: Don't even set the hook. Just set, start real. He said it. <laughs> but, like, I mean, I could see it. Yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying because, like, I, I thought I was a good fisherman. Like, you know, I have a bunch of high school buddies, and we always fish against each other. Each other and, like, I thought just competing against those guys, like, I was good. Yeah. Until Pond Wars the first year. And then that's when I was like Huh. Yeah, I was like it just totally opened my eyes. That's that's kinda how you and I became friends yeah. was was Pond Wars Absolutely for the first year and then the next year. So we've done it two years now, but like we just kinda hit off with deer talk and just, yeah. you know, kinda whatever. But But you I, fished
0: with D C and you had
1: to whoop up on us. Not this year. <laughs> we came in last. I still hey, have you that got a trophy. I got the dead ass last trophy <laughs> sitting bad. on my dash right now. I was disappointed though. The one of the, I was disappointed I didn't get it. Man, me and Pitch were, were gunning for y'all. <laughs> I, you talk about not having confidence. Was DC <laughs> was in the gutter that the, on that second lake we went to. Oh, he was over it. <laughs> I, listen, I love Sizzle, but he he is
0: he is like he is either. Up here, or he is down
1: there, so far in the dumps, there's <laughs> no in between. I love that guy to death, and it was <laughs> it was so much fun to watch that because he had convinced everyone, and I was with him too, but I was a little bit more like, "Come on, let's at least you know we, we can stick it out." Like, yeah, he was just like, "No, nah. done, done." He had convinced <laughs> half of the guys <laughs> competing to to pull their boats out of that lake. <laughs> yeah. We were headed to the other lake. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like going back to the the pond wars thing like I thought I was a good fisherman yeah. and the second I started fishing with you guys or even around you guys and then last well this year the second year we did it fishing with you and Mark Daniels yeah and y'all were showing me the live scope and all that the the four facing yeah. sonar stuff uh I've quickly realized like there is a whole whole different level that you guys are playing at than than what I even thought I was as a bass fisherman, yeah,
0: I mean, and there's there's so many things that ch- like that what's crazy in like the tournament bass fishing world is like that you could be a great local angler, and then but does that translate into a great national pro? You know yeah. that because we have to deal with so many different things. We're fishing smallmouth spotted bass, largemouth, you know, uh, Florida strain, Northern strain, you know, different dynamics, different conditions. So that's just like the the cusp of it, you know, and, it, and it's in and it. Obviously, you know Active Target and forward Fishing Center has changed it a little bit for sure because it's actually made it easier for for younger anglers to learn what all these older, you know, more had more knowledge. Older anglers and, and more of the veterans of the sport had more knowledge, and now it's been easier for the younger generation to catch up. The cut cut a the learning bit. curve. Uh, yes, quick. it one hundred percent has. Yeah. But it definitely broadens your horizon because there was bass you never could target. Now that you can, there's fishery being left alone that are not getting targeted because of it now. So there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there's, I could see that definitely.
1: I could see how y'all would get really sensitive to like, you know, I mean, it's kind of the double edged sword. Like, it's how we make our living mm-hmm. and it, it kind of allows us to pursue our dreams. But I could see how you guys would get really finicky with like what's, being broadcasted essentially to the world because this dude, my perspective <laughs> I'm the gremlin on the other side of the screen, being like, What spot is he at? What, what lure is he throwing? Like, I mean, I I'm know. that guy, 100% I'm You're that guy. You're like, I just can't help I'm, it. I'm that guy. <laughs> you yeah, like, it's and like get, there's thousands of me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> thousands of little gremlins. Just so, like, I mean, look. is that like, uh, are y'all trying to like, keep certain things under wraps? Like, you know, how do you kind of play that game? I
0: think long-term, I think for the sport, we need our screens broadcasted live um, in live, you know, coverage. Um, Bass has done a good job with, with having it, I think, with the Hummingbird, They've actually done that with a couple. Of them, but they don't really have it for Garmin and Active Target and all that stuff as well. So it's more like a sponsor deal now. But, like, I think long-term – I think it needs to be where the viewer can visually see what you're doing and why you're casting. The problem, the different dynamic in that is like, okay, if the lake was closed down for six days or four days of your competition and you had no worry about a local angler negatively impacting your best spot, you're giving so much information away at just that image that... That's where it gets really a very slippery slope. Mm-hmm. So you could literally want, you'd have a hundred great, you know, ninety nine great people out there that are watching, and they're like, out of a hundred, that are like, man, this is awesome. I'm learning. I'm going to use this and apply this to my lake and what I deal with and everything else. And there's that one guy that's like, hey man, I know exactly where that's at. I'm going there tonight on a Tuesday nighter, and I'm going to tr- trash him right there. And catches those fish, and then you go back there the next day, and maybe you don't get as many bites, and lose a tournament by a few ounces or by a pound, and that negatively impacted your event. So it's it's a very, I, I think, long-term for this sport, I think it needs to happen. I just think it has to happen. Almost, maybe almost if you hold it off to the final day. Yeah. And say, look, we're going to give this nugget away, but it's not going to happen till the final day of competition.
1: Yeah, I mean... I think that's a huge reason of, of like, what intrigues people to watch is they want that desire to learn. Yes. You know, I know that that's, like, my biggest reason of why I get so tuned in intensely to, like, some of these bass tournaments is, like, I want to learn. I want to learn how they're catching them. I want to learn, you know, all these different things. And I think it's kind of the – I mean, it's hard not to, like – want to know where they're fishing and, 100%. and figuring stuff out <laughs> 100% but you know do y'all do y'all get a lot of uh like negative feedback from that like uh maybe i guess maybe from like yeah. locals that that kind of look down upon broadcasting certain things like that or so the one thing that mlf does a good job of you know there's two there's two
0: major major leagues you know, BASS and mlf you know and and um there's other organizations but those are like these you know two professional leagues and <clears throat> One thing they do a good job of um is not showing a map oh, out there. You know, the the elite series and bass, they've done a they they've show a lot of things on a map and that does negatively Trust impact me, I know. It, 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 I know so <laughs> so that negatively impacts it. Like there's a reason why even like when I'm shooting a YouTube video, even I'm on a body of water, I won't even say the name of the lake because my whole thing is this. Like, I don't want to negatively impact this body of water for not just for me but for all the anglers that know about this anyway. Yeah. Because if I say, "Hey, I'm on Lake X and I just caught 30 pounds of bass there," there's going to be 200 people out of maybe 20,000 or 30, 40, 50,000 that watch the video and that can super negatively impact that whole body of water and that's not fair to those local anglers that have known about it for years. So, I try not to. Yeah. And so I think that's the way I you know, I would like, you know, when like on that aspect of like not showing an exact area where you're at. Now I will say that Bass has done a better job now with not showing the specific location. Like I can you I'll know like oh you're over there. But like they'll show like you're in the creek and you'll be like three miles away from that. So that's a better way to do it. If you still want to show like what's going on, but that that's the tough part about it. So the
1: it. gremlin side of me, uh, when I'm watching. Yeah. MLF does do a really good job of trying to like just not Making it easy for people to recognize certain things. Sometimes it's inevitable, Except like if there's for that a damn distinct, drone. Yeah, they do. <laughs> there drone. were some drone shots that I, I was in my phone, being like, i <laughs> But they do a better job than, uh, of keeping certain things under wraps. Um, Bass, I mean, the, I feel like they used to show on a map like exactly where I people were at. But then I feel like they were getting some heat for that, and then I feel like they changed it because I, I know Gunnersville really well. I've fished every summer for you know, 15 years now, and I remember seeing uh, where someone was fishing. I was like, I know exactly where he's at, and they showed it on a map, and it was like three miles away. I and I was like, so they're kind, of, they're kind of playing the game a yeah. little bit, like trying yeah. to not spot burn and stuff, which is
0: good. I mean, which is it good. is, yeah, it is, you know, it it's is. Like you get to the area, but you're not getting any specific location. It's yeah. like,
1: it's kind of how it plays over to our side on like the the hunting side is, uh, like I don't even really like to say what state we're in. Yeah, like I I posted I on my Instagram story today just like a trail cam picture of a of a deer that looks pretty nice. Like he's going to be probably a really big shooter. And I didn't, I didn't even, in the past, I would say what state, like just kind of tag what state or whatever. I'm not even really doing that now just to try and keep it super vague. It's, it's but.
0: tough there. I mean, that's, that's like, I mean, dude, I can't even imagine, like, especially when it's a really big deer, like you're just to the point where it's like, everybody wants a piece of that. And, and it's like, I, I never realized I was super naive when I first started
1: deer hunting. When did you, so when did you get into deer hunting?
0: So, um, probably 2015, uh, 2014, 2015, a buddy of my Matt Ayer, he fished the Elite Series. And then I, I, um, I went hunting with him in North Carolina. I shot this basket rack eight on his property and dude, I freaked out. I was shaking. I had this bow. I was like, Oh, pumped up. I just shot a giant. It was, and it was great to me. It was, and I haven't, I haven't like out in the garage somewhere. got him out everything. Cause it was like my first, first buck I shot, you know? And I'm like, heck yeah, that's awesome. And then I started hunting with a buddy of mine, Whitney Stevens, in Ohio, and that's like I'm tagging, like, yeah, we're out here on this, you know, location, trying to tell a story, and I'm like, did I had no clue, yeah, what I was saying. I was videoing stuff, and I'm just like, I had to learn very quickly <laughs> to like, eh, yeah, pull and, and it back a little
1: bit. Here's here's the thing I would say too, like, because we we've learned along the way for mm. from things all over the end of the spectrum and um you know like drew and i when we got into this and i, I feel like most people that that kind of do similar things to what we do for a living like you're you're not it's not like you're groomed for that yeah like social media and 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 doing what we do is just such a tricky world
0: but it's changed as you've grown. Like as I've grown in professional fishing, it's constantly grown, changing. You know, it's like, and as your brain's grown, it's like, it's always changing. You just, it, it's completely different when we were 11 years old yeah. and there was no Instagram and Facebook and you know what I'm saying? YouTube that was really that impactful.
1: Yeah. And social media like is, is great for a lot of things. Like we've had some amazing things happen through social media. I've met some of my closest friends through social media. Yeah, 100%. But you know, we are figuring out, figuring this out along the way too. Like we are making mistakes along the way, whether it's, we gave too much information about a location or, uh, I remember really early on, we hung a stand without a safety harness and got all kinds of negative feedback from it. And it's like, you're making mistakes cause we're all human. Everybody Absolutely. makes mistakes, but they're being broadcasted. And so like you kind of learn along the way of, Hey, don't do this, do that. Don't do that. like, and it's just kind of a, uh, it's tricky when, you know, you're, there's a lot of eyeballs on you as you're kind of growing as a person and, and as a professional, the, you know, that, and I guess like what I would say for anybody listening or watching like a takeaway is like show grace to people. Not, and I'm not asking for grace. I'm not. But I think that like when people are putting their sales out on social media, like we're all humans, we're all going to make mistakes. Like there's no reason to go say something horrible to someone that like can Affect that person's life. Absolutely, because negative you. comments and stuff like we—I'm sure you've got pretty tough stuff st- oh, skin. Yeah. <laughs> I've got pretty thick skin. Yeah. You have to. You do in this world. But I'd be lying if it, if I'd tell you that like you you can read ninety nine amazing like hey this you know this was amazing like this meant a lot to me thank you guy like blah, blah 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 and it's like the one guy. That's just has to being up. a dickhead. It's just I know. It, it, that's the one that eats at you. It eats
0: at you because you're like, dang man, like, and you're never gonna ever, you know. Like, I, I had you have to learn from that though too. Is like, am I gonna spend my time, my energy on the few people that are you know trying to talk negatively about something, or am I gonna spend all that time that I have? that people that actually care about this and want to see more, like, and, and, and nurture that and try to continue to push out content for them, like, and that's, like, where you have, it, it's tough, like, especially as you're going as a human being, and as you're trying to mature, and as the things are, you know, you're living a life, and learning, like I said, learning from your mistakes, it's like, that is a tough deal, because, it's like, as human nature, we just, it's easy to jump in the negativity aspect of things, and it's like, but i have always like, if I'm going to comment back or I'm going to feel a certain way about this, I I need to. If I comment back to a negative comment, I better comment back to ten positive. Yeah, comments. yeah, because that's, that's a good scenario. That's a good little live by yeah, like you just with social media. Yeah, so it's like, but it is. I would agree with you. Give grace because I think that, like, even I look back and I look at anglers and especially younger anglers or younger um, athletes in 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 sports or you know, like like young hunters and like, you just, you make, you're going to make mistakes. And like in that scenario, it just happens. Yeah. Like you don't realize what you're doing. And then especially like, you're like Oh, like you don't have someone to be like, Hey man, don't do that. You're just like, do I'm trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you all a story of what's transpiring. And you, I completely forgot that.
1: You got to kind of be, you have to try to keep it as real as possible. Absolutely. Too. You do. Like I went to Kansas last year and, and, um, you know, I, I think some of the feedback we've gotten is like, oh, you're hunting suburban deer, like that's no challenge, blah, blah, blah. And I think that people were kind of like, you couldn't kill a deer like in the big woods or, you know, just away from the suburbs kind of thing. And so Drew and I were like, all right, well, let's go, let's go prove ourselves in a way. And so Drew went out West, he killed an elk and he killed his first, uh, uh, mule deer on public land and st- out there. And. You know, this year, uh, like, we went to Pennsylvania and hunted some public land up there. Um, went to Kansas this year. Also hunted North Dakota. Like, not suburban at all. Just changing it up and stuff. And, uh, for example, like, Kansas, um, you know, I may I, – this was my first time ever hunting Kansas. It's it, it kind of a gamble, right? Like, if you go out and, to these places and you don't perform – you kind of prove people's points that are like, oh, you can only hunt yeah. suburban. You kind of proved it. Like it's yeah. kind of like some dude that's good at pond fishing, and they're like, oh, he can only catch them in ponds. Like put him on a big lake and see if he can catch him. And he, and he <laughs> yeah. doesn't. Yeah, it's similar. It's tough that, though but. with
0: like deer. Everything has to sort of line up. Like it's one deer. It's one like you know. It's tough
1: there. I, I can see how it would be tougher on deer because you're also talking about taking an animal's life, which is a big deal. Absolutely correct. And so. I guess the the point in kind of me saying all this stuff is like I made a mistake on a deer in Kansas. My first time hunting Kansas, it's all new to me. Yeah. And of course, like mistakes are made. They're the best lesson learners. And I was at full draw and I had a decoy uh, on the front of my bow. Have you seen those ones? It's like a, it's like a, um, printout of like a, a deer, like a buck. No. So it like attaches to the front of your bow. Really? Yeah. it's this is, this is really cool. It's very, very situational. It only works in very specific situations. And in Kansas, those deer are so visual and they fight like hell. Gosh. So I had this thing on the front of my bow. And the situation you try to find is it's really effective with a buck and lockdown down with a doe. Ooh. And you want the buck to see you before the doe sees you because she'll see you and think, oh, that's another buck coming to breed me. I'm going to. Take off, get on, out of here. Yeah. So you want the buck to see you first, and so I super long story short, like this is wide open country. Like there's not a tree as far as you can see. It's just you know kind of CRP stuff. Use just using a little bit of terrain I had, and I got to like 40 yards from this deer, and he got up on his own, and I had had this you know decoy in the front of my bow. He gets up, turns, and sees it. And I snort wheezes at him, just, oh. and he just, dude, bristled up and just postured <laughs> and just like started doing that slow sidewalk to oh. me. Well, it's like sustained 20 mile an hour winds. And if you've ever shot your bow outside when it's blowing wind, like even without this giant sail dude, of that a thing, decoy I can't on the front imagine of your, it's that. blowing you around like yeah. crazy. So this deer comes to, you know, 12 yards. And I'm at full draw and I had just like a now or never kind of shot and the wind was blowing my bow so bad. Like I did the best I could to put the right shot on that deer and I didn't and I hit him in the shoulder. And I guess this is a super long story of basically saying like we had a choice to show that or not. Yeah. And I think maybe, I I, I think channels and, and people are being more real today, but I think there's certain ones that are not. Absolutely. That would not have shown that, or would have tried to show things in a different way. And we we're like, the only way to know to do it is to keep it real. And so I explained like exactly what happened. That I made a mistake. I'd injured this deer, um, and we ended up getting back on him like three or four days later, put another stock on him, and, and killed him. But dang, I just think that but like that's
0: important, like hundred percent. That's, 100%, that's yeah. super important because that that teaches another hunter by like, hey. Like everybody makes mistakes. Dude, I've freaking missed so many deer. It's insane. Like I am so mad, frustrated, like and and so like things happen like where I'm get got lazy and I didn't I didn't cut, you know, shooting lanes or you know, I'm just gonna oh, jump in the stand that I haven't hunted in two years or you know, and you just don't don't like it's not like everything that I you know, it's not my livelihood, so I, I try to do and I try to still enjoy it, but it's like you learn so much from other people's mistakes, and if they're able to sort of bring themselves down and say, "Look, I messed up. Here's what I've done. This is what happened." Like that is a that you you positively impacted so many people by showing that and keeping that real, and and maybe they won't make that mistake. But like in that scenario, like you're still gonna you you tried everything that you possibly could. Though there, it's like that's just a unique scenario with the wind blowing and everything. What else I, what happened. I should
1: have done was. I should have not taken the shot I did. And, like, it was, he was there at an hour and never moment. He was either going to turn and run away or he was going to keep coming to me, like, point blank. Yeah. And I should have just waited till he either went to point blank where my, you know, kill odds would have been way higher yeah. or just let him, let him go off. But that's, you know, again, to your point, like, showing that people that are watching it hopefully learn from your mistakes and they can, you know, take that into the field with them. But I I also think it's just people make mistakes in the field and that's okay to show. And it makes you relatable. It makes you show you're a person. And I think it also doesn't put a super unrealistic expectation on someone that's out there hunting to just like watch stuff on TV and expect that it always goes flawless. Like that's not the case.
0: Like, like on the outside looking in the hunting world, you know, you, you, you see these great ginormous deer that, that you've had the opportunity to to kill and harvest, and you look at, like, all these, all these unbelievable, like, man, six-year-old deer, seven-year-old deer, mature, like, premium maturity, and it's like, you know, but in the same regard, like, there's, like, there's a lot of places don't have giant deer like that. You're not, there's not a 200-inch deer in every patch of woods. It's not in every state, and so there's a point where it's like, I I remember like you know shooting one of the biggest bucks I've ever shot. He was like I right at out a four year old, a four year old deer. He was like a one fifty. He was one fifty two or something like that. Was now. that o- in Ohio? Yeah, Ohio? Ohio. Yeah, Ohio's, yeah, Ohio's it's, it's got him. I it's like good. Ohio. <laughs> and so th- this deer was like I I remember I you know you put it on there and you're like dude I just I was I was just pumped out of belief. My buddy is like like, and I, and I hunted, I hunt with someone that knows, like, he's like, dude, like, look, we got to make sure we keep, you know, this deer, we don't issue that deer, don't issue this deer, don't issue that deer. So like, I was, you know, intermediate, like beginner level, but I was able to be around someone that was, you know, more advanced. And and so learning, the, learning the curve a little bit, but then what i was saying with that is like, you know, oh man, that, it's always like, you know, you put you put this big deer that you shot. You're so proud. You're so you know you know you have a lot of history. I did have a lot of history with that deer, and then it's like, oh man, you should have let him walk another year. You should have done this. You should have done that. And it just it's such a like like you don't have to be a crawdad in a bucket. You don't have to pull somebody down in that scenario. Like like happy for that individual. Like if they sh- if they should have shot uh, a three and a half year old eight point that's a, a hundred and ten inches and they're proud of it. And that was the biggest deer they had on their property. That's like a two hundred inch deer to someone that has a two hundred inch deer on their property. Like that's something I feel like in the in, in in we gotta do better as hunters. That's not like it's like even the fishing world, like catching a twelve pounder or catching a three pounder. Like, dude be proud of the effort that you put forth
1: hundred percent agree with what you said. And actually like my season last year was – I'll never top what I did last nah, year. That's stupid. But my biggest <laughs> – thank you. But my biggest message and, – and, and I was trying to like just really make sure that I was uh, – you know, just had integrity here and here. Yeah. I had highs and lows last year. Yeah. And when you ha- have a, a standout year like that, I still – like one of my most important messages was – It has nothing to do with the size of the rack. Like I killed, I I mean, I just had a really good year last year and the racks were big. (laughs) But but in the moment of doing that, I still stuck to my guns of basically, to your exact point, it is about like the experience of it. And just because someone only has a 120, then that's the biggest buck on their farm or their property or wherever they're hunting and they dedicate their whole season to it and they pull it off what they feel and their accomplishment they just did is no greater than what i just did on, you know, a deer that had a bigger rack. Like mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with the size of the rack and has everything to do with the journey and the story and the like the passion that was poured into the pursuit of that.
0: Yeah, i couldn't agree more on that. It, it, it it's special. It is yeah. spe- and that's what like i think is like from if you're you know you're running cameras there's you know you there's so many things of of having food plots if you're getting into that if it's like putting a stand knowing a deer seeing something happen like that is just so cool to me like i i that's one thing that i to me like that that I just love seeing year to year their growth and seeing how they change. And then all of a sudden this deer that was on your property now is, is that wasn't his home range and he was, had a huge home range and now he's, you never see him again. Like that's part of it. Like it, or he already did. He might've got killed, but then like, you know, so, It's so cool to me though, like to see that and and see their demeanor, and then a big deer comes in and he's the main dude, and and, like you got to get there's just there's so many nuances within within hunting that just it's really cool, and we
1: will never figure it out. Like you'd you'd think that as long as we've been doing it on on our side of the table, like we'd have deer figured out. We don't have a clue, man. They (laughs) they still do stuff every year, and I'm sure it's the same on the fishing side. Like they have certain things and patterns they stick to, but like they will always just be kind of evolving and do things that you wouldn't expect them to do. And it's constantly like if you ever get to the place where you're not learning anymore, you're out of the game. Like you're not hitting your peak level performance, I think because like you've got to constantly be learning and be a sponge and kind of absorbing, like, you know, learn, just learning as much as you can from what you're experiencing. I would agree. Yeah. I got a question for you that I think only you and maybe only a select few people out there can answer. Where is there more of of an adrenaline rush? Is there more of an adrenaline rush killing a big deer with like the buck fever and the shakes and all that stuff? Or is there more like of an adrenaline dump catching a bass that you know won you or potentially just won you like, you know, six figures?
0: Um, so it's tough because obviously like one of those things I'm pretty good at and the other one I'm, I'm like, it's like, I, 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 it's so, such so new to me, but I, I, um, man, it's I would say I go back and forth on it because I, <laughs> I do the I, fact I, that you're considering it though, you know, to me, like big I big deer to hundred thousand dollars, deer, though, like to me is like, I, I, I it's such a. Uh, up and down deal, like to me, like I'm just like either. Comp- it's just like when things go bad and you miss a deer, or you miss the opportunity, or the wind shifts direction, and you. It's just the worst feeling in the world. It's very similar to like losing a big one in the tournament. That, that yeah. scenario is winning a tournament. It, it, it's close, but like, like when I I like i had the opportunity to harvest the big deer that I have had, I have like. I would say half of them, I had a bigger reaction in that moment, shaking, tripping out. Like, I mean, I'm just a mess. I always, I, I still, I'm a mess. <laughs> I'm horrible. I can't even keep my composure with it. I come over here to shake when he rolls up. Like, I'm like, what the heck's going on? So I would say I react. I, so, so I'll tell you this. So my buddy Whitney, and he, he, uh, he says, man, for a guy that wins, All these tournaments and as cool as He said, when a big deer walks in, you're a mess. (laughs) So I would say a deer messes me up more, but I get the same end result when everything's done like that satisfaction, like everything going the right way that you get the same feeling on both. But I, I'm, I'm way more of a mess when a big
1: deer walks in (laughs) for sure. Have you seen the, the Luke Bryan, uh, freak out when he's in a deer stand dude yeah is he
0: down is he, is he, down? he down is he <laughs> down
1: that I mean to his example like that dude performs in front of thousands of people yeah. live on stage and a deer still gets to him the Bad. way that it did like deer it's just it's a it's a cool deal it's I think, special yeah it, it is it truly is <clears throat> it is do you still love bass fishing as much now as you did when you were 20 years old
0: I do I do you know
1: passion uh, still burning yeah.
0: I I I love it. I do. It's it's a little bit different because I have two kids. Um, obviously, my wife and, and so you you change like where when you're twenty. It's like I'm I love it. All I want to do is to be at this level. And you know you you see that mountain. You're climbing the mountain the whole time. You know and you never really want to look back down. And you just keep climbing and keep climbing. You get a win. And um, I just like for me, fishing is still my escape. So, tournament fishing, all oh, there's times where I'll be done with the season, and I gave everything into that season, and I just, like, I have to step away from tournament fishing. But then I'll be home for, like, three days, and I'm like, dude, I got to go run on the jet boat up the river and go You're see the spots are freaking biting, or I got to do this. Like, I love to fish. And so, that is still my getaway. It just comes to the point where it's, like, the tournament aspect of it, when things you know, it, it's a little bit different, but I still have the same passion for it. But I do think that things change through life and you have to like, obviously I have a lot more, um, a lot more things that I have to take care of with my family and sponsors and partnerships and PD stuff and creating new products and all of these things that, that take a lot more of my time. So I can't do it as much, but I, long story short, I, I still love it just as much. I mean, I, if I was not a if I if I stopped today professional bass fishing if professional bass fishing stopped like it was no longer a thing I would one hundred percent that's all I would still think about like I just love it like I do I true I it's more about figuring it out and knowing you're on the front end of something and realizing it and just knowing that you if tr- you understand how those fish and what they're doing better. And you, you figured them out like that day. Like you understand that. I get to challenge every single day. It's always changing. The weather's – the conditions are changing. The best group of fish in the lake might have been this one today and it's that one the next day. And you got to constantly be figuring it out. It never stops.
1: I already knew the answer to that question. <clears throat> and at least I, I'm – You felt that way. Yeah, I did feel that <laughs> way for sure. And the reason – and it's kind of weird and I guess I'll connect the dots is because you won recently. And the reason I say that is I don't think that you perform at the highest level that you can unless that passion is still burning. I would agree. When I mean, when you start, it just kind of gets a little dull, and you're not just like it, that hunger is not there, I think, is when your performance really, like, you know, it, it affects your performance. I would. And so I would agree. I just and, and maybe this is a far fetched statement and, and not always true. I'm sure, but like I feel like to win at the level that you did and have been for years, but most of your most recent win, like yeah. you have got to have that burning passion still there that is driving you to achieve something like that. If it's if you don't have that fire burning, I just feel like it's there's another guy behind you that his fire's burning and he's going to be figuring out what you didn't figure out and he'll take that, that trophy away.
0: I I would agree with that. And I think the one thing that's always been hard for me is in that scenario, like one thing that like you, when you win, like I I, winning it to me, like when it happens, I, the one thing that I always look, I'm still climbing this mountain. Right. And I never really, I have a hard time celebrating a win. Like I didn't want, want, to celebrate a win. Like I'm like, I get home I put it on the shelf, and I'm like, "Heck yeah, let's go to the next one." Yeah, because I want to continue to still climb that mountain. Like you, you, you have to be driven. Now, the thing is, like before that tournament, I had the worst turn of my career at Murray, and I ended up 72nd out of 80 anglers, or 75th, or something like that. So that I was kicking the butt, and I was getting burnt out a little bit because there was so many tournaments in a row. Mm-hmm. That, like I was just like, gosh man, like I got I, I need some time to sort of just step back for a second with my family. And, and but then it's like you get your you get that butt whooping and like you then boys put you where you're like, hey, hey son, you don't you're losing it. Like then I was able to sort of refocus that energy. And I didn't talk to anybody. Kind of, I was kind of poking the bear. I was so <laughs> dude, I was so mad after that <clears throat> Yeah. And so you need that from time to time. Cause like Everybody will tell you, oh, man, we, you're killing it. You're doing everything. You're great. Oh, man, you want to go to the or You do this. And you're like, every once in a while, you just need that to drop down to the rock bottom every once in a while to, in an event. I don't like doing it very often if I can help it. <laughs> but it, it's very good for you to be like. Kind of kind of dumps gasoline on, it, you on put, the fire. You put some gasoline on the fire. I told uh, Rob Newell, which he works for MLF and, and my buddy Alan Jones Jr. as well. I said Dude, I'm gonna win two tournaments this year after that, after getting my cause you get fired up. I'm gonna win two tournaments. I'm gonna win the next five you know, you sort of yeah. your mindset. You just get fired up about it because you just had a tough event. And the only thing you can do, it's like when you fall off a bite is to get back on and continue to ride. Yeah. And that's like to me, that's like a, a, I love that. Like that 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 fired me up for the rest of the season.
1: On my side, my passion is still burning bright. Or burning hot, but at the end of last year, I was wore out. I, I can only imagine. I was, and, and and I was briefly in a moment of like I was burnout. Briefly. Oh yeah. And kind of like you said, like you know that you if you got burnout, you come here and you kind of chill for a few days. You start getting that that itch again. Like got to go. Yeah. You know, run the boat up the river kind of thing. S- super similar deal on our side. Like in the end of last season, dude so burnout just from so much travel and stuff. And you know, you're know you still also trying to, trying to have like somewhat of a normal life with friends and family. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the travel, it affects friendships and, and just closeness with family. Like big it time. does just not being able to spend that time big time. And, uh, I'm kind of the same way though. We're like, last year was the hardest I ever went. And at the end I was like, man, I'm, I'm just burnt out. Like I need to I need to rest. And like took some time and, and fishing has actually always kind of been my recharge the batteries deal. Like I get so I dude, I'm telling you, I get so fired up for that Pond Wars event. <laughs> Y'all have no idea. It 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 kills me that that we've, you know, got it handed to us like the two <laughs> you know, years in a row. You. Dude, it kills me. It That's freaking so kills funny. me because I get so like competitive it's, and exact
0: it's the exact opposite for me too though yeah you're like like that pond wars event is like you're so, probably just no no, no i'm like it's in the middle of tournament season so i'm like oh cool you know whatever i'm gonna join it but like like hunting is my my getaway there like and then yeah. i'll you know so like so i'm just saying that yeah,
1: yeah so like the, the fishing side for me like i get super gung-ho on it from like basically after i stopped looking for sheds yeah. so april ish End of end of March April is when March I get April. real fired up with fishing, and then when I start seeing horns pop out, it to- dude totally just flips right back right, to fires burning. Really, can't, yeah, I cannot can't help even. it. And and I will I've said this a lot of times that like if that passion ever left me, <clears throat> I, I I would quit filming, I would quit doing videos and all that stuff. Like and and honestly like if the filming and stuff ever infringed on my passion for it, yeah. I would ditch the filming in a second. Because to me, like, my passion for hunting is the most important thing. That's huge. You yeah. have to if have If that leaves, that. everything's gone.
0: See, at had a season like like you had, and, and every year, like, you could have a horrible season, too. Like, I think that negatively, you need a reset. Like, every have year, to. you have to, like, I'll, like fishing for me, like, I, in the year, I try to I reset. Like, I'm going to, like, okay.
1: When does y'all's season, like, Typically,
0: September, September. Well, okay. like this year it's August, but like we'll still have tournaments in September and we'll have some tournaments scattered out, but it'll be like a, a, a team series event or it'll be like something else like that. Yeah. Um, I have a tournament in Portugal in October this year, but but like most of the time we have time in the fall. That's our off season, like January, things kick back up. We stop in September. We have a few events throughout there, but it's not like, you know, we have our time to get away. Yeah and so like that time is my time to go hey i'm going to go a couple month a couple weeks up to ohio i can go hunt with a friend of mine here or there like i'm able to do that as well but like the same thing like i don't only really know like one one speed like it's either i'm all in or i'm all out like, mm-hmm. i can't do any. it's i'm hunting daylight till dark on a deer that i if i'm like like i get irritated with him like i'm not yeah. Like I'm putting all this effort in. But now you got to hunt smart too. I had to learn my mistakes on that one too. But I, it's like that scenario. So then I'll get burnt out if I go 10 days and I'm like, I'll be like, I'm on this deer. And I'm like, dude, I got to step back. So I'm like, I'll be like I'm going to go up to Lake Erie and go fishing with a buddy of mine yeah. for a day or something to reset. But that's sort of the thing.
1: Balance is is important. Like just it is. Ha- trying to, and it you know, like most of my friends have nine to five. They work Monday to Friday. But like you and I don't do that. Yeah. There's times where we're burning through weekends, yeah. and actually, I mean, yeah, yeah. So it's just like life looks very different. You still have to sort of find the balance. I feel like Drew and I, <coughs> Drew just had his, he and his wife just had their first child. Dang. Twelve days ago,
0: big dog. Dang, and so days, I, that's a life yeah. changer.
1: I actually, her name's Miller. I just met her for the first time yesterday. Brought him dinner. Wow. And it's just like finding that balance is super super important it is and that's kind of what we're trying to figure out like as time goes on and we get deeper into pursuing these the hunting stuff like you just gotta find that balance and we haven't really gotten there yet but we're trying to like put things in place where we do get to spend time with family and because to me like i think that pays off so much more when you hit your season full stride you're you're like all in yes and if if you feel like you didn't recharge the batteries or like you're missing family you haven't had that time like there's just if you're not fully in because of you know you didn't have that rest time or whatever i just feel like it's gonna like severely affect your performance and like your passion for it and kind of all that stuff but
0: I, i would definitely agree with that on the fishing side it's the one thing that it's like the only time I didn't really stop is like when you have a phenomenal year, you don't want to lose that, that, that confidence. Mm-hmm. And that's a thing that I, I, even last year I didn't get a hunt. Um, last couple of years, I haven't really had an opportunity to really go hard in the hunting aspect. And I, so I sort of like step back and I went two years ago, I went to Wyoming with Realtree, but, um, like being able to go up and like hunt hard, like on my piece of property that like I work with, you know? So yeah. like that, but that was more so because like I had more things going I had so many stuff going on, but then I also didn't want to lose what I had and the confidence that I had and the edge that I had, too. So there's like a, but it is a hard deal because the balance of it, it's like you have to be careful because, like, if you just completely go cold turkey in that scenario, like, and then you jump back into the tournament, you lose, the edge. It, you
1: lose it. Dude, it's like my comparison to what you're talking about is the door knocking thing. Yeah. If you're, it's like riding a, well, it's not not like riding a bike. (laughs) When you're door knocking and you get in the rhythm of it. Yeah. Just confidence. Boom, boom, boom. Dude, you go like two weeks, three weeks without door knocking, which I haven't, I've door knocked a little bit recently, but not hard in the last like month. Dude, you lose it quick. (laughs) I I, like, I guarantee you the first time I go door knocking now, getting some spots and stuff, I'll be like tripping over my words and be like, "Eh," uh, and just. Butcher the whole You
0: probably can sell ice to an Eskimo door knocking for day Deer hunting spots. You <laughs> probably can. I'll probably in the middle of the series I'll be like, Alyssa, I'll be calling Lee, like Lee. He'll be like, he'll be trying to tell me about this or that and I'll be like, Yeah, well, you been are you three weeks in the door knocking or something? Like
1: <laughs> it's like once you get the, the, the wheels turning, man, oh, you just man, start you but getting it. the wheels turning yeah. is, is kinda tough I can and you tripping over it. But, I could see that. And you I'm serious, I'm gonna get that pin from you on that New York Do uh, You think I'm kidding? I, I trust if me you're willing I, know. To share. I got it trust me I don't know
0: there was couple <clears throat> big ones
1: um I've got I, I might have saved like the most uh important question for last um are are aliens real <sighs> uh that's that's are aliens
0: real I I man I'm going to say yes I do believe that there are i I don't know it's just difficult i don't not I'm saying I have a personal experience in it, but I just don't like when you step out in on a on a calm, crisp night, no scar no 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 clouds in the sky, and you look and you think, okay, this is earth, we're on earth and you look at all these stars to me i it's hard for me to believe there's not. not something else it's so <clears throat> it's trippy when you truly step out and you look especially out in out in the country when you're away from all these lights and you truly you can really see, see yeah like or out in Wyoming or somewhere where you're just so far and you look you're like you you take a deep breath and you're like wow I'm so small but then also it's like that scenario for me I'm looking at it I'm like
1: do you think aliens have ever been to planet Earth?
0: Um, man, I don't know about that one. I, I don't know. I it's tough. I think a lot of the like a lot of the UFO stuff is other countries doing stuff. You know, typically like you know stuff that goes on. Whether it's the U.S., it's like they're like it's China or somewhere. You know, like there's other things that are happening that are yeah. drones and you know this happened for the last twenty years or whatever that we just didn't know about. I don't know. I, I I can see it. I I, I <laughs> I'll tell you the story off camera, but oh I get, come on! I can't tell you this. <laughs> oh, it's on. not for me. It's not. It's not. It's someone that I know that believes that that aliens are, are real and that they're. Did they here. have like
1: a, a firsthand encounter? or no, something? No, they
0: have a mindset of how and why and who. It's 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 very interesting. It's interesting. I can't say because it's not mine to say. Like, otherwise, okay. I would. I would. I just am <laughs> just saying. I'm not, I'm not holding it in. I just. I do believe that there are.
1: There are maybe maybe. I I, I don't have. I don't know. So, uh, Bill Thompson. You, you probably don't know him, but he. Uh, we use Spartan Forge for our mapping and app stuff. Yeah. For mapping and like property lines and all that stuff. So he has a vast military background. Hit, wicked smart guy, like scary. He could probably change your name to whatever he wanted to like <laughs> by tomorrow. Dang. Uh, he's just like very, very, very brilliant. Um, and he did a lot of like cyber stuff for the military during his career. His, bet I talk to him about this all the time. Cause he's like really fun to get going on this stuff. Yeah. He thinks that like the stuff that we're seeing, like, uh, I, I guess there was footage from like some, uh, fighter jets that like saw some weird stuff yeah. just anyways he thinks that what the stuff that we've seen that we really can't like explain is us from the future time traveling back and like wow see maybe seeing like where things went wrong or something like that like that's his that's, his, that's another that's theory out there behind yeah. it if like he doesn't think that there's aliens out there but he thinks that that Time travel is possible, and just like way, way on down the line, we figured it out. How to come back, people are coming back and sort of like trying to solve the issues of maybe maybe. something that we did. Yeah, maybe
0: I know that's interesting. Like, back to the future, like like from back to the future. I I, I don't know, that's interesting. I don't maybe I could, yeah. I mean, I just think it's such a it's a it's a sticky situation i' I'm not, I'm not put a lot of time and effort to like researching
1: no, I haven't either. I just but enjoy I, hearing people talk I about it. I do too It's like
0: I'm like intrigued I'm like, well, do you believe it or
1: no? i mean, yeah I just think. have you ever had any like do you believe in ghosts? How about that? Absolutely. Have you had any firsthand ghost experiences? um ghost experiences I also like I get real spooked out by ghost stuff, yeah, but I do genuinely enjoy asking. People because they're typically I too. sometimes people will have a story where it's like, Oh, I got to tell you the story about when this happened or whatever. So,
0: so my wife has one that she she she's told me, and I'm like, Whoa, but I I um I haven't you know just little <coughs> stuff. I I do believe in ghosts, but I don't necessarily think that uh I've never had like a crazy and like experience. Like, I've had some things happen that were very eerie, yeah, you know, like a light shutting off in her house and like just stuff that's trippy that like you're just like like, weird feeling stuff. um, But I've never had that moment, like, dude. Like, you know, of course, like, my mind, like, back when I was a kid, of course, I'm, like, under my covers, like, you know, freaking out. Yeah. Your imagination <laughs> can, like, trip you out very if you quickly. you let your imagination oh. run,
1: especially, like, when you're walking out of the stand at, at, in the dark or something like that, if you let your mind start to wander at all, like, it'll dude. start just going down this road. Oh, wait, it's it's like, for sure. Some of the places we hunt uh, are in very sketchy areas and, like, they're, like, my mind will start to wander, like, because, dude, we get trail cam pictures of, like, someone walking through at, like, three in the morning, just probably on drugs, and it's, yes. like, your mind will start to I've wander seen some on of those. that stuff.
0: I, yeah, you're, like, oh, shoot, like to see he around here. <clears throat> one of, what's going one on. of the crazy
1: ones was I was listening to a podcast. It was some crime podcast about this, like, serial killer in Atlanta, like, way back when, and, uh, they started talking about like details of it and where they found all these bodies. And uh they were like, Yeah, at the corner of such and such road, there's you know, twenty something acres and like they found uh all these bodies on this vacant dude, I'd been hunting that spot for years. What? And they had excavated all these like murder victims from that property like Holy. way, way, way back when. So Holy I, I had no idea. I'm literally just listening to this podcast, and I heard them name the road names and the acreage, and I'm like in my head, I'm like, "That's 100% my spot." And I pulled up on a map and everything. It's like it has to be the spot where that happened.
0: What's What's the craziest thing you've caught like on on a trail camera?
1: I'll show you a picture. <clears throat> it's like uh, Blair Witch Project kind of stuff. Really? Yeah, I mean we've we've. Yeah, we've seen some weird stuff. I'll <laughs> tell you one my buddy got recently that's kind of like really wild. Let me see if I can find Gosh, this. Gosh,
0: I you would think that would probably you know there's got to be some, you know. Obviously, I see I get it, especially with the urban aspect of it, like you you get to see some some, some the things, it, it, it
1: definitely makes uh, for some weird encounters and experiences when you're mixing, you know, basically exploring Wooded areas around cities and yeah, suburban area, and just around people and stuff. It's it's it gets it's spooky. a little different. It's not big wood stuff as much. There was um, there was a. Let me think. There was a um, I, I gotta I gotta find this picture to it to It's like yeah, I got see this, dude. It's,
0: I've always wondered that.
1: It's it, like Blair Witch Project stuff. I had trail cam pictures of one lady that uh was like wielding a huge butcher knife like, around the feeder. She's just, like, wandering through the woods. Like, you see the the first picture is, like, her up on this hill, halfway down the hill, and then around the feeder. And the whole time, she's just, like, I mean, a crazy-looking woman with a huge butcher knife, just, like. And not. And, a, no, and it was the day, during the day. With
0: a butcher knife.
1: With a butcher knife. That's amazing. The, okay, i got to find this on my Instagram because I can't find the picture. Yeah, but, all right, we, so. Yeah, it's, that, to me, like, that would be some, ooh. That'd be That'd be weird. <laughs> That one right there. Holy moly. Yeah, that is. They framed up, framed up for that trail cam picture. Like, It's like it was staged. It was almost like people were like, hey, let's go take this picture and just try to mess with someone that has this trail cam. But like, that's not staged at all. It's just Gosh. old woman and her slightly possessed-looking children <laughs> all just like staring into the camera with the most, like, blank face that is freaky but like kendall uh kendall's like been walking out of the woods and had and again this was in like a not great part of town uh he has a story where he was walking out of the woods and he had parked his truck kind of like under like a street light and there was like six dudes all like leaned up against his truck like waiting on him to come out of the woods and as he walked out of the woods, he said, like, they all kind of, like, leaned up off the truck and, like, started kind of walking towards them, like, six dudes.
0: You're like, dude, this is not going to And
1: he he said he had, I mean, he knew he was hunting in a sketchy area, so he brought a pistol with him. Yeah. And he said he just pulled the pistol out and just, like, held it right here. And then they all just, like, just, like, slowly kind of walked, walked off. Walked off. Yeah. So there's there's definitely certain situations where, like, we are 100% packing heat. Yeah, you'd have when, to When be. we go into certain Especially
0: areas. in those, I mean, like, dude, you'd have to be. Yeah. Like in that especially like driving, stopping on the side of the road and like parking up i mean like gosh that'd be crazy like I, I don't even fathom like obviously I know how many how many great big deer you sh- you know had the opportunity at harvesting and all these things and I'm like but you don't think of that aspect of urban hunting like it would be
1: there's a lot of way more would, sketchier yeah there's a lot of uh, just be, honestly just BS you really just don't want to deal with that comes yeah. with suburban hunting like I mean like for example, you know, I'll spend months trying to get a spot. I finally get this spot. I've you know just done all of this t- tons and tons of this work and time and effort that went into getting the spot, and hung stands, done food plots, like just you know all this stuff to have like one neighbor find out I'm hunting there, and then the whole thing gets like yanked out from under you. and there's, there's just a lot of different like,
0: way more dynamics. Yeah. There's way more people, obviously, close buy so it's like any one person there's so many people that disagree with this or that. It oh, could yeah. be a
1: that's s- why I bought a Honda Element. Uh that's like a, I call it a chameleon. <laughs> and it's got like uh coexist stickers and like just you know <laughs> it had a Joe Biden sticker on it but I took it off. Um got you got you you Drew play. Drew put it play on there it. as a joke and I was like I, 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 I understand it's joke but I'm not I don't have I'm not I can't gonna to, do I'm it. not gonna do it. At a certain point
0: you to draw the line?
1: Yeah that was the line. And so like but that's the chameleon. I mean, like I'm just driving around a Honda Element, it's tons to, of space. Keep all your hunting stuff in there. That's the way to put it. Nobody. I haven't had any, any any issues driving that thing with someone. Yeah, you like, end up rolling up in a big giant truck and stuff. You you just you start you just start adding too yeah. much. Yeah. too much right there. So, um, we've been going for a while. I think we'll wrap it up. But I I appreciate you having me come just get a a glimpse into your life here real quick, I, from my side like. I've always dreamed, and we didn't even touch on this subject. But when you turn your passion into a profession, like mm-hmm. the difficulties of that, um, maybe we'll save that for another yeah. another podcast. But like, I've always dreamt of like since I was a kid being a professional bass fisherman, and so even just to like you know watch a friend you on MLF. And like be rooting for you, like, and feel like I'm kind of a li- just a little part of it. Like, I know someone I'm rooting on and stuff. Like, just to get a glimpse into this world is like for me a huge treat. So, like, I appreciate you taking me in and kind of showing me this stuff. And like, even just seeing like what you've accomplished from a visual form of trophies in this room is just like overwhelming. <laughs> well,
0: I appreciate it. Obviously, you. You uh you kill the game, man. you work hard and I, I, I just I just man, it's it's sort of been it's been fun, man, getting to know you over the last bit and uh I think uh we'll have plenty plenty of adventures. I gotta I gotta learn I gotta learn a few more things and I get the back in the deer hunting aspect this fall. I'm gonna have to learn how to, to do I'm not to I'm probably lean on you a little bit
1: more. I was gonna say we need to hunt together this fall. I, I that would be fun.
0: That yeah. would be fun. Uh, the season sort of slow you know, slows down a little bit earlier this fall, so I'm like
1: Yeah. I'm gonna like, hey, what are we doing? Where are we going? We'll do it. I'm going to show you – I'm going to wrap this up, and I'm going to show you that uh, that buck that I'm pursuing this year. Oh. I'm going to show it to you off camera. Dude, G- last year, I'll let you look at it and guess. It's it, it, When they get this gnarly, it's hard to say, but I promise you he's got to be 220-plus last year, and he made it this year. I don't have a spot for him yet, but I'm about to probably in the next couple of weeks like – fully commit to this deer getting as much spots as i can and, and do whatever i can to try and like pursue him this year so he was too tw- oh my at gosh. least dude he had four or five drop times like that long <laughs> last year <laughs> oh he's my gnarly oh gnarly oh my it's in- it's insane if i get pictures of him this summer like i have all these plans this season like i'm going back to kansas and this like dude, everything
0: dropped like focus on just, one thing. I would literally to,
1: fully commit to that deer and not even think about anything else. I Especially would, I after would, the season
0: you had last year, too. You just like you when you have an opportunity though like that, you have to take that. This chance.
1: deer is a once in a lifetime opportunity. If he's if he's anything like he was last year and he's still around, it's it's a once in a lifetime. Yeah. So I'll show it to you off camera. I would be
0: tri- I'd be freaking.
1: We'll wrap it up. Thank you
0: so much, big dog. Yep, <laughs> had a good time.